0: Hello, listeners of Analyze Asia. Welcome to our first episode of the new year. New year, new episode, but the same good old content coming from Analyze Asia, a podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, media, and technology in Asia. This is your host, Carol, you already know, and we are starting off 2021 on a very interesting topic that is the state of computer vision in China with an old friend as well. And today on Analyze Asia, we have John Artman, former editor-in-chief of TechNode and currently the technology editor with South China Morning Post. Welcome to Analyze Asia, John. This is your first time on the show, right?
1: No, I think this is my second time, actually. I talked with Bernard. I think I did a recording with Bernard uh, maybe like two years ago now. It's been a while. Uh,
0: it has been a while. This is the first time that we've both yes. on the show. Although our listeners probably don't know, we actually know each other from uh, your techno days as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. You were working for one of our competitors when, when we first met. And so it's been great to be able to keep in touch. And I think, you know, I feel like at the end of the day, the China technology circle is ended up being quite small. And so it's great to you know, continue these relationships.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I used to work for Penn Daily and they have the Techbus China podcast. We always have Ray Ma on the show as well. So we all have a really good working relationship with one another. So first of all, I know I've already said this to you on Twitter, but congratulations on your move from TechNode to SEMP, although I know it happened uh, a while back ago. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners are quite familiar with your work for TechNode as well. So they must be very curious, just like I am, about the work that you're doing in your new role and you know what areas you are and will be covering for SEMP.
1: Yeah, thank you, Carol. I, I really do appreciate that. I, you know, I, f- I feel uh, enormously lucky to have the opportunity to work for the newsroom with as much history and with such a great reputation for covering China and Asia. When SCMP first reached out, it was cu- was quite clear it was an opportunity that I, that I could not pass up. I will say that, you know, the coverage that we do at SCMP is slightly different from the coverage that I did at TechNode. I mean, number one, of course, the audiences are, are quite different. You know, at TechNode, we were... We had a very narrow for focus. Uh, we were targeting people who were already relatively familiar with technology in China. Maybe they were living in China, maybe they had lived in China, or had significant connections to the mainland, and they wanted to keep up with what's going on on a daily basis, as well as get information and analysis that was unique and kind of was based on a certain fundamental understanding. Whereas at uh, South China Morning Post, you know, our audience is broader. Our entire newsroom, we, we cover news uh, quite comprehensively. For technology, you know we really we're really exploring some of the bigger stories that we're seeing from the last uh, year or so and as we move into 2021. So for example, semiconductors. You know, China is trying its best to create some kind of self-reliance and independence from uh, foreign technology in particular the United States we're tracking that very very closely Huawei is also a really big story for us last year and continuing into this year how are they going to survive you know how are they changing and adapting to a very different business uh, environment and then also you know most recently there's been a lot of uh, moves by the government to rein in big tech in China and so that's another thing that we've been we've been covering quite quite closely all the way from the halt of the Ant Financial IPO uh, mm-hmm. up to, you know, recent moves to investigate investigate Alibaba, which is, by the way, our uh, the, the parent company of the South China Morning Post. As a journalist, there's a lot of really interesting things happening. And so I will say that I do miss a little bit of being able to follow some of the deals and to follow some of the niche coverage that we did at TechNode. But at the same time, the people that I'm working with and the stories that we're covering are very exciting.
0: Of course. And uh, thank you for that disclaimer. I know that you had to move from Beijing to Hong Kong as well, right, for your new role. And you had to do that during COVID-19 pandemic as well. So I'm interested to hear what are some of your reflections, you know, on 2020 in context of, of your move as well and in context of the larger pandemic situation.
1: Well, I would say one of the big things is my biggest advice to anyone who has to go through quarantine and, you know, at, whether it's at home or in a hotel or in a quarantine center, and especially as it seems to be getting longer, my best advice is to try to go into some kind of fugue state where, you know, you're not, like, there's no such thing as time. There's no such thing as <laughs> Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's all, it, it, it needs to be all part of the same moment or else you're just going to drive yourself crazy. I went through quarantine twice once, when I when I was traveling back from the U.S. around this time last year to mainland China, we did 14 days at home, and then in August we did 14 days in Hong Kong. And I would say, you know, the the biggest mistake that I made that first time was counting the days, and especially as you get mm-hmm. closer to the end, you start being like, oh my gosh, it's almost over. You really shouldn't do that because it makes it so much worse. And so you just gotta be like, you know what, it's all the same. You know, just going to do my routine and stay out the window as as much as I can. But apart from that, you know, it's just very strange. You know, this is probably the strangest moment of my adult life. I mean, obviously, again, I had this great opportunity to work at SCMP, but at the same time, you know, it's it's happening while there's there's all these kind of macro changes going on. So on the one hand, on a personal level, it's a bit discombobulating. Sometimes it's a bit uncomfortable. But at the same time, I mean, you know, professionally, this is this is a very exciting time.
0: You know, thank you for sharing all of that with our audience as well, because I'm sure a lot of people can truly relate, you know, the chaos, but also you still got to follow the same orders with work, etc. Now, we started our conversation about wanting to bring John on to the show because we wanted to talk about computer vision uh, in China specifically. And this conversation started because we saw that SCMP Research came out with a computer vision report 2020 late lately last year, taking a deep dive, looking at uh, China's AI space, specifically computer vision. So, to start, John, can you provide an um, explanation for us about, you know, what computer vision is and also what it is as part of a field in artificial intelligence?
1: Right. So, big picture history stuff, you know, artificial intelligence is this relatively broad field inside of computer science and uh, computer engineering. And it first really started to gain momentum back in in the 1970s when computer scientists were trying to figure out how they could create programs that would mimic human intelligence to a certain degree. The, the problem was back then, on the one hand, the theoretical basis wasn't quite fleshed out, but then on the other hand, actually a much bigger problem was uh, the hardware just was not capable of really being able to process the information in such a way that it was actually efficient. Fast forward to 2015, give or take, and that's when we're really starting to see hardware that's capable of processing the amounts of data that's needed in order to actually implement this very specific type of artificial intelligence, which is machine learning and neural networks. So within artificial intelligence, there's a few narrow uh, applications that we're seeing right now, one of which is natural language processing, which is something, you know, if you're using a voice assistant that's using NLP, natural language processing, on the one hand, to understand what the input is, and then to render that into text, to understand what the text means, and then to come up with an output to whatever... Your query or your, your command was. And then what we're talking about today is computer vision. And so computer vision is kind of straightforward. So it's using visual data to do certain things, right? And so what, what we're seeing right now is that actually there's there's really been kind of an explosion of use cases of computer vision. So I think most people are going to be aware of kind of the biggest one, Especially in China right now, is facial recognition it's something that we can talk about a little bit later. You know, facial recognition it's actually it's become a relatively uh, mature uh, use case. So so much so that a lot of the the first pioneers are looking to uh, diversify because the market is becoming so saturated. But it's also, of course, autonomous vehicles as Mm -hmm. well. So those are going to use some version of computer vision. With facial recognition, of course, it's not just necessarily about video surveillance and things like that, but it's also biometric authentication and verification. Even further, you have a lot of really interesting medical applications as well. I just talked to a company based out of Shanghai earlier this week. And one of the things that they're doing is they're providing AI-assisted diagnosis to radiologists. Uh, And so in particular, what they can do is they can take CT scans and they started off with looking at the lungs. And so CT scans of lungs, their solution can look at this CT scan and tell very, very quickly whether or not this patient has a problem with their lungs, specifically around uh, lung cancer. It's a really kind of interesting use case just because it's also very standardized, right? This is one of the big issues with artificial intelligence. Of Any kind of machine intelligence in general is that, you know, garbage in, garbage out. One of the reasons that computer vision has taken off so quickly is that a lot of the inputs a lot of the data is already relatively standardized and so we can see that there's been a lot of innovation and development around that
0: so that's a explanation of you know what computer vision is and uh, how it plays in in the ai field but well, today we're talking specifically about china right so can you talk about some of the key factors in how computer vision as an area has accelerated in its development specifically in china
1: So again, you know, artificial intelligence, the real kind of commercialization boom started in as early as 2015. But those were kind of the really the early days. It wasn't until about maybe 2017, 2018 that it saw a real explosion. And in part that came about because of government support. So in 2017 and 2018, the Skynet and uh, Sharp Eye programs were started by the Chinese government. Mm -hmm. And these were specifically around video surveillance. It's one of those things where I think that, you know, with a lot of people who aren't familiar with how complex China is, you know, their kind of knee-jerk reaction is, oh, this is just another example of China, you know, just just wanting to to watch all of its citizens and control them. I don't think that that's 100% the case. Rather... I think it's important to understand that that China is such a huge country with limited resources and enforcement agencies with limited experience and limited resources themselves. So I think if you look at the history of China, one of the biggest problems for any government throughout its history has always, almost always been uh, enforcement. China is looking, really looking to technology to help out with that. And so we saw some really interesting cases where uh, criminals were were caught. There was two, actually two interesting cases, I believe in 2019, where two criminals were caught in public. One was caught actually going into uh, a concert at the time. I think I read that. uh, yeah, so you can see that these security systems, they actually do serve a real law enforcement purpose. It's not just about monitoring, monitoring everyone all the time. And so that that gave it a real boost, right? And so we can see that like kind of the big four C, uh, computer vision companies in China right now, they got started around that time and they got started around doing vis- video surveillance and uh, facial recognition as well. One of the important things to remember is that when it comes to regulation in the technology space, up until very, very recently, China has been pretty lax uh, when it comes to to regulating technology. Uh, that is changing, and we can talk about that. Uh, that we can talk about that later. But in general, one of the big reasons that we've seen this this explosion it's in part government support, kind of giving it a nod, saying you know this is something that we believe is important, and so there's you know money tends to go where the government points in a lot of ways. But then all so there's very little boundaries placed on the the overall industry which means for startups and for younger companies they can really kind of scale up very quickly without having to worry about getting derailed by uh, regulators
0: some other natural advantages one would be the the, po- the size of the population right and mm-hmm. and i think people's attitude towards uh, these types of technologies definitely a, a more welcoming attitude versus i think a lot of uh, mainstream attitude in the us when it comes to you know computer vision or when they think about facial recognition for example
1: in in, in general what it really what it comes down to is that in china there's a much higher higher level of trust in the government. And there's also a much higher level of trust in technology in general. You know, in China, technology is really associated with a rise in living standards, this massive rise in living standards. So what, what you see is that as the economy has grown, technology has also become a greater and greater part of everyone's life. And so there's this association, a positive association. Whereas I think, you know, So I'm an American, and I look at attitudes towards technology and the government in the United States, and uh, it's it's relatively low, in part just because I think the economy is relatively mature. I mean, it used to be that technology was associated with positive, you know, increased affluence, et cetera, uh, But these days, it's definitely not.
0: So I'm curious, what is the current state of, you know, venture funding for computer vision, you know, for Chinese startups here? And how should one envisage, you know, the, the computer vision market?
1: Yeah, so it's still huge. Yeah, it's computer vision remains the dominant field, representing 57% China's AI market which is valued at around uh, 23 billion US dollars. According to the computer vision report uh, that we published in December, China led the world in computer vision venture capital funding and actually caught up and surpassed uh, the United States, which was Uh, leading in uh, 2017 and 2018. But funding has dropped about 50% in 2019. It was also accompanied by a slowdown in growth. As I mentioned before, the video surveillance market became increasingly saturated. And this is also in line with broader trends that we've seen. 2019 was you know, really the winter, the, the capital winter in China's technology and startup space. 2020 is just about as slow. However, it, the, the overall value of investments and uh, deals did pick up given the, the increased interest and demand for, for healthcare and education related services. But if we look at uh, computer vision, it's really following the trend of decreasing over time.
0: You of course saw the recent news about how China hit you know the hundred trillion yuan mark for uh, their GDP in 2020, and there are some very optimistic predictions about the GDP growth in the year 2021 as well. Do you think there will be implications for the CV industry?
1: That's a great question. I mean, it's hard to say. I think that one of the big things again is just that the low-hanging fruit for computer vision has basically been all picked, and really what it came down to was facial recognition-based video surveillance. There's really not much room for growth. But what we can see is that on the one hand, because of U.S. sanctions, but then on the other hand, because of, again, just the domestic situation that computer vision companies who started off in video surveillance are quickly trying to move into to other other areas
0: in the report you and as well as earlier in our interview you you already mentioned there are these four companies four dragons as they're called four dragons of cv in china they are SenseTime, time cloudwalk and e2 can you talk about each of them and you know where their key strengths and focuses are with respect to computer vision
1: all four of these were actually some of the one of the first companies to really get traction in the video surveillance market so SenseTime, the top player in terms of funding and market share. They also have the most diversified portfolio of businesses across a variety of verticals, including smart cities, non-surveillance security. So, for example, biometric authentication, verification, finance, retail and marketing, and healthcare, as well as autonomous vehicles. They've done a really good job of going as wide and as broad as, as possible. MegV is they're backed by Alibaba, and they really made their name in providing facial recognition. To technology for smartphones. So how to uh, using like face face ID, for example, to unlock your phone. And then in 2015, they went into video surveillance, facial recognition as well. So it now has businesses in security. So public security, traffic management, building access control, uh, as well as finance, and they're recently moved into uh, warehouse robotics. So this is kind of an interesting intersection between computer vision and other forms of artificial intelligence is in the logistics industry. Mo- most of the the major logistics and e-commerce players are doing their best to roll out these kind of smart warehouses. So using AI on the one hand to kind of calculate the best Routes for the robots to actually take, but then of course also using computer vision to so that the, the robots can can navigate in the environment. It's, it's computer vision is also being used in general for uh, delivery robots. Uh, with Meituan, for example, starting to test that out, and uh, a company in California recently got the go ahead for uh, for something similar. But uh, getting back to the company, so Cloudwalk, so Cloudwalk was incubated by the Chinese Academy of Science and is state backed, and so they have dominated. Facial recognition for banks with a 80 market share, and so really, you know, as I mentioned before, so when when we're talking about in the financial sector, a lot of it is biometric authentication and uh, and verification for payments, but then also for you know logging into bank accounts and other kind of security applications inside of banks. And, and the reason that they that they have such a large market share in part is because they are state backed, there is trust that Cloudwalk will be able to keep the data safe and also you know provide good service to to them. So they've actually diversified as well. They're now focusing on intelligent government and access control in public facilities. So for example, airport terminals and hospitals. Last but not least, E2. So they really differentiated themselves by focusing on uh, healthcare and specifically medical imaging. So as I mentioned before, you know, medical data these days, especially when it comes to CT scans, other types of scans with a visual output. They're relatively standardized. Uh, And so E2 decided to, early on, decided to really focus on that. They've also moved into designing their own AI chips. They announced in late 2019 that they're making their own AI chips. But right now, given the geopolitical constraints that they have, it's not sure exactly where they are with their AI chip initiatives.
0: So I know some people might not be as familiar with the companies that you've talked about, but they, of course, know these tech giants in China, like Aidu, Alibaba, Tencent. So what are they doing? Are they also working on computer vision? And if so, what aspects are they focusing on?
1: Yeah, I mean, so I think that when it comes to the giants, they tend to do a little bit of everything and and really kind of focus on areas in terms of their own kind of first party platforms, they focus on areas that are directly related to their core business. And so we see with Alibaba and and financial, you know, a lot of their computer vision has been kind of the facial recognition on phones and for authentication, signing in, uh, authorizing payments, et cetera, et cetera. The same thing with uh, Tencent on WeChat pay as well. So, I mean, if you're not familiar, Obviously, you know iPhone already comes with uh, with face ID. Apple seems to be slowly phasing out face ID on their phones. But then with Android, a lot of the middle to to lower end devices don't necessarily come with hardware based facial recognition. A lot of software companies um, have actually had to design their own uh, facial recognition software in order to make up for that if their users want that type of feature. A little bit, I mean more more specifically, so they also invest in Peter vision startups. So, for example, Alibaba has invested in both uh, SenseTime and Megvii. So, two of the four. Uh, they've also invested in AutoX, which is uh, an autonomous driving company. Tencent has invested in Momenta which is autonomous vehicles as well. And then Baidu, you know, they've really staked their future on autonomous driving with their Apollo project. And so they're probably the biggest, out of all the kind of big tech players in China, they're the ones that probably invested the most in, in computer vision.
0: Yeah, I remember, I think back in 2018, I went to Baidu's AI Developers Conference. They were showcasing already a lot of their autonomous driving project for Baidu Apollo. I think they also had collaborations with, with, for example, King Long, which is a really large bus company in China. So have they found a path to monetization yet, you know, to create the next wave of growth for, for their company, for Baidu?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. It's not clear at all. They don't share a lot of information. Baidu has proven to quite publicity shy these last few years. When it comes to autonomous driving, like I said, I mean, they, they really staked their future on that. But I think that in general, for the entire autonomous driving industry, you know, the business model is really unclear. And I talked to a few startups recently. There's only a handful that have a clear path to monetization. And that has mostly to do with trucking. So autonomous trucking seems mm-hmm. to be one of the first areas where, where monetization and commercialization is, is viable. Another area is robo taxis. So uh, autonomous taxis, basically. And so China really is a leader in this area with a few different areas around the country that are allowing testing and uh, the restrictions on how much human involvement is needed, as well as the area that these robo-taxis can operate in are becoming bigger and looser. And so Baidu specifically, moving into robo-taxis, they're starting to experiment with some of that. But I think that the main thrust of their business model is licensing their their autonomous driving to traditional car makers. I think they're really aiming to be kind of the the quote-unquote android of autonomous driving, where these traditional car companies can take the solution and then customize it to their own cars. I will say, however, that they're going to face some, some stiff competition there are some very promising startups that are doing something very, very similar as well.
0: Of course, when we talk about something as sensitive as computer vision or, you know, metrics and facial recognition, etc., we do talk about regulations. So how Mm -hmm. are the Chinese regulators looking at computer vision? Are there any legislative efforts to prevent the misuse or abuse of these technologies involved?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, the government Across the board, is beginning to pay a lot more attention to the technology industry, the financial services industry. So FinTech is under a lot of scrutiny right now. And then there's a lot more regulator movement coming around data privacy and personal information as i mentioned earlier one of the reasons that uh, facial recognition and computer vision technology took off was because you know there was lax regulation the negative side of all that is that there is some abuse right and so there is cases where facial recognition technology is not actually needed you know there are cases where people's privacy is being breached where their facial recognition data is being sold without proper consent or authorization So kind of across the board, there's a tightening up of what's required in terms of the kinds of data that uh, companies can collect, as well as what they can actually do with it. You know, I think there's a bit of a misconception that uh, Chinese people don't care about privacy. It's not true. I I think there's a higher willingness to Mm -hmm. to trade data for free services, but that doesn't mean that they're not concerned, right? And so I think that's that's a very important uh, distinction to make. these services and technologies become more ubiquitous, there's a much greater concern and understanding on the part of the public, and the government is, in effect, uh, responding to that. So for example, the uh, personal information protection law, that draft was published in October of last year. And so it's only going to allow the use of sensitive information. So for example, ethnicity, religion, facial biometrics, and medical health only for specific purposes, and only when it's uh, sufficiently necessary as defined in that law. As I mentioned before, you know the government is starting to crack down on the misuse of facial recognition uh, data by, by private companies. And we're also seeing few cases of people of private citizens challenging the use of facial recognition in courts. There was a case last year of a, a lawyer who sued the uh, a zoo in Hangzhou for forcing him to use facial recognition technology to, to enter the zoo. He had purchased a membership before they implemented their facial recognition system. Then, you know, at some point they switched over to, to that system and for, for verification to say, okay, you actually are a member or you've bought a ticket. So he he challenged this and saying, you know, it's really not necessary and it's a complete overreach. Uh, the court agreed with him and asked the uh, the zoo to, to pay him damages, which... Uh, actually you know actually it wasn't that much and as far as i can tell you know they were not ordered to dismantle their facial recognition system rather they had to you know offer other options in place of if uh, customers and visitors wanted to use that
0: that's a really good story. Yeah, it's my first time hearing about that. We good good for him, and uh, I, I do think <laughs> these options are needed um, versus having to scan my face everywhere, which seems to be the case these days. But in terms of challenges that computer vision companies are facing, you know, one very obvious challenge is, of course, they're losing access to certain U.S. suppliers, given you know U.S. ban mm-hmm. of Chinese technology, as well as their the prohibition of the sale of, uh, of key technologies. So where do you see these um, Chinese uh, CV companies going? Well, will they have to focus on international expansion into other emerging markets like Africa, for example, where China has a strong influence? Or do you think there's still a lot of room for growth inward for domestic expansion within China?
1: Yeah, I think so. First of all, you know, we have to make it clear that a lot of the sanctions against some of these companies were specifically targeting cutting edge technologies, right? And so one of the strategic goals of the uh, former Trump administration was to hamstring uh, the development of of Chinese uh, technology. And so we can see that with Huawei, and we can see that with some of these AI companies. And so You know, when it comes down to it, these specific AI companies, they don't need cutting edge technology to do what they do. We can see, and when you're looking at some of the latest semiconductors, you're talking about anywhere between 7 to, to 5 nanometers. But in many cases, 16 to 12 nanometers semiconductors is perfectly usable for these applications. And so I think it's important to remember that we're not, you know, a lot of the, the most mature use cases and commercialized use cases, it doesn't necessarily need some of this cutting edge technology that came under uh, some of these sanctions. I, I think it's an important misconception that that needs to be addressed another thing is, is that the domestic market is is still quite big. So when it comes to kind of video surveillance and security applications, that's really been saturated. You know, there's not much room for growth there. However, when it comes to other kinds of businesses, there's a lot of room for growth, right? So obviously autonomous driving is one big area, medical imaging, another big, big area, as well as use cases in the financial sector also. So I think that, you know, really what we're seeing is that the, the US sanctions have not killed these companies. And it doesn't look like they're going to either. I think also it's important to note there are loopholes in some of these sanctions. From what I can tell, some most of those loopholes were closed in terms of procurement from US companies. And so when the Trump administration first announced a lot of these sanctions, it was you know basically stopping direct relationships between these chinese companies and and specific us companies what a lot of companies were able to do was go around this by finding third party sellers the trump administration did close that loophole but we have some evidence not enough evidence to say 100% that this is happening not enough evidence to even say how widespread it is but there is evidence showing that similar things are do do continue do continue to happen where Chinese companies are able to procure secondhand equipment from third parties, which technically do circumvent the the sanctions from the United States.
0: And I think the report, the um, China AI Deep Dive Computer Vision Report, explains a lot of these in more detail as well, right? Can you just tell us... Can you um, tell our listeners just a little bit more about the report? What else does it cover? So if our listeners are interested, they can go and check it out from SEMP Research.
1: So I think that, you know, it's 130 slides. And so it really is uh, a deep dive. And I think, you know, one of the biggest things, it has a proprietary data. So first, mm-hmm. so data that we've collated that we've collected on, a, on more than 160 different Chinese uh, computer vision companies. Wow. Um, and so what we did was we spent, you know, three to four months going through and collecting publicly available data and information on patents and papers from these companies. And then using that, we were able to come up with some kind of measures of uh, their funding, as well as their their R&D capability. I think that if you're interested in computer vision in China, this is the go-to report. I don't think you're going to find anything that has this much depth as possible. Uh, We also have other proprietary research, including across-the-board comparison. On computer vision capabilities between China and other countries. Also, I think that you know, apart from kind of the data side, there's also some interesting other kinds of areas that we've discovered, including you know how Chinese computer vision companies have used open source to to kind of create their technology and to build their business on top of. And interestingly enough, you know how open source and and talent are probably going to be one of the biggest areas driving growth for for China in the future.
0: If you had to pick just one interesting nugget that you think the audience is going to uh, get when they purchase purchase the actual rapport, what would that be?
1: Honestly, I think, I mean, what I'm most interested in is kind of the, the manual side of technology. It's always interesting, especially with artificial intelligence, because there's this misconception that AI can somehow replace people. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, as I mentioned, you know, early on in this episode, as with any computer, garbage in, garbage out. And so if the data is not reliable, if it's not standard, if it's not if it's not labeled very well, if it's not clear to the algorithm or to the to the computer what exactly it is you're not going to get any usable results. and so i think that it's important to highlight and one of the things that we explore in the report is data labeling. and so kind of what the data labeling industry in china compared to to other countries. and you know, obviously on the one hand china has this vast pool of data just kind of sitting there ready to be used, but then on the other hand uh, china also has a, a large workforce that can fill in that gap when it comes to data labeling.
0: Thank you, John, for, you know, telling us a little bit more about this report. And for our listeners, if you want to see more detailed facts, figures, case studies, answers to very important questions, you should definitely check out the report in full by clicking on the link that we provided. And SEMP uh, Research has kindly provided a special promo code for Analyze Asia listeners. That promo code is Analyze CV. so that is ANALYZE with an S, and CV, which stands Stands for computer vision of course And I have one more question about um, what do you think are the areas for computer vision and AI more broadly that you think China will focus on for the next one to three years?
1: Yeah. So again, I think privacy concerns is going to be the biggest thing, especially how it's being used by the private sector. The the data landscape in China, it really is the Wild West. There's really not very much regulation. uh, But what we're seeing a lot of moves by regulators on a case-by-case basis to reprimand and demand recognition certification By platforms and applications, uh, but now with the uh, the Personal Information Protection Law, it's going to become standardized. Also, you know, in general, it's going to become more independent from the United States, so developing its own open source ecosystem, as I mentioned before. And then I think one of the big challenges is going to be uh, luring talent back uh, to China. As you and our, and your listeners are probably aware, you know, there, there's definitely a, a large flow of talent that starts in the, in China. And moves to the United States and, you know, ends up in California or maybe in on uh, the eastern seaboard somewhere. And so one of the challenges in the next one to three years is really going to be how to, how to reverse that, that that brain drain. So on the one hand, kind of how can China convince people who move to the U.S. to come back? But then also how to uh, keep them in in China in the first place?
0: Thank you, John. Um, thank you so much for providing us with so much insight on the current state of computer vision in China. And I know that there are also a lot of other um, experts that SEMP has reached out to to you know give webinars to those who have purchased the report as well. I see a few coming up on March, uh, in March and in April. So if our listeners are interested to learn more, you can. Also, check out the webinars that uh, SEMP will be providing. So before we let you go, this is a question that we ask all of our guests. Do you have any recommendations that you want to share with our audience that have inspired you recently?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been reading a lot of different stuff recently, some related to, to my work and some some not. But I think that, you know, for, for your audience, probably the most relevant would be a collection of essays published by the Cambridge University Press called uh, After the Digital Tornado. Ah, uh, networks, algorithms, and uh, and humanity. Uh, it's written by a professor from the Wharton School of Business who specializes in uh, technology law and uh, and policy. But it's really interesting because it, it it tackles a lot of the the current issues that technology is facing right now. I think on the one hand, of course, you know algorithms and and filter bubbles and the challenges for regulators. But then also, you know, antitrust and how do you deal with the unique kind of regulatory challenges that these technology companies. Pose, right? Especially when it comes to, to antitrust and, and anti monopoly, because in many cases, you know, they're, they're free services. There's no anti competitive pricing because everything's free. But there are some really important questions that need to be asked around, you know, their role in the economy. And it's, and, and I think, you know, obviously the, the collection of essays is coming from American, mostly American academics, uh, but the questions that they're asking, you know, global. Um, I mean, China, as I mentioned before, is dealing with the exact same issues. The EU, is dealing with the exact same issues right now, and of course, the rest of the world is um, as well. And so, I think that this, in terms of kind of getting a, a very detailed analysis of some of these problems, this this has been a great a great collection of essays.
0: Thank you. That's a great recommendation. And if our listeners want to, you know, learn more about your work and read more of uh, what you have edited, where can they find you and reach you?
1: If you're interested in what I do on a professional basis interested in following technology and technology in China, you know, just go to scmp.com slash tech. If you're looking for something that's a bit of a mix of professional and personal, you can always find me on, on Twitter. My Twitter handle is uh, knows nothing.
0: One of my favorite handles of all times, at knows Nothing. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and again, thank you, John, for coming again on to Analyze Asia, for sharing your insights with us. And I am sure that the next time you come on is not going to be two years later. It's going to be a lot sooner than that. And I do look forward to um, your appearance next time. Thank you again.
1: Great. Awesome. Thank you, Carol.